Good morning. God bless you for being here today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's another opportunity we have to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. The truth of God is found in his word. His word endures, I believe, till the end of time. There's no way it will be stamped out by the efforts of man. <clears throat> and so God's grace, mercy, and peace continually multiplied. And I like the way the Apostle Peter talks about that the multiplying effect of those graces that we have from God. And the way it is meant to grow and produce in our lives. You know, if you're a farmer, I think that is an intriguing aspect of farming, the fact that you can put that seed in the ground and it grows up and multiplies. It, it produces way beyond the initial effort. It's a, it's a marvelous thing to see in nature, but also in our spiritual life. I learned something about horses recently I didn't know and that is two horses working together can pull three times what one horse can pull and I don't know the science behind that but it's true and I think it's a little bit the way the same way in our Christian lives when we meet together and we um, celebrate and praise the Lord together. <clears throat> it has a compounding effect. And it's a blessing <clears throat> to realize the goodness of God because the goodness of God, the blessing of God, it, it often defies science or mathematics or anything that seems natural to us. It's because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. And that's something I think we should meditate on. And I know this morning it seems like it's a little different crowd here than what we're used to. Many of our own people are, are missing, has already been noted. But that difference is, is a little bit made up by a lot of new faces here this morning. And so God bless you for being here. And for those that aren't, uh, you may be at home. But you know, if we have Jesus, um, and we may be in a jail cell by ourselves, but if we have Jesus, we're a majority. You know, God and uh, man together, working together, is a majority. They have the preeminence. If you look at how God and Hezekiah faced the enemy, God and Elijah. Um, against all those other people, and yet God prevailed, and will prevail for with God. I invite you briefly to Jeremiah 33. <clears throat> Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me. Now, some people said this is God's telephone number. 
Jeremiah 33:3, Call unto me and I will answer. I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. <clears throat> do we, do we uh, sense a need to call out to God? I had to think of, in Genesis, it talks about when in the early days and men began to multiply on the earth, and I think it said Seth had a son, and, and then he had um, a son, Enosh, or someone. But it said at that point, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I wonder a little bit what that was about, but you know, I think they sensed their need for God in those early days upon the face of the earth because man became, began to um, kill one another. And I believe it was a, a man, Lamech. He, he went home and he bragged to his two wives the fact that he had killed a man. And I believe the people began to realize that, that they had a, a sinful nature, a faultiness about them, that they just needed to reach out to God. And God invites us to do that, to call out to him. And he will answer. He will answer. Not only answer, but show us great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Is that true for us today? Do we have we arrived at the place where we we kind of think we know it all now? You know, we've we've had the Bible for these hundreds and thousands of years, and we've we've pretty much arrived. We know what God expects, so it's time to sit back and and just enjoy it. Or do we pursue God? And are we expecting him to show us great and mighty things? So I had to think a little bit, how does God answer us? Because I believe he does, and I think he speaks to us. <clears throat> how do we hear from God? How do we perceive what he might be saying to us specifically in our day and time? For the day in which we live to us individually to us as a church or a congregation do we sense a need to hear you know I appreciate what we do in our Sunday school class when when we begin the, the teacher will often ask the the group if there's anything they would like to share, if there's anything that's on their minds. And it could be something they're facing, a burden, or a, uh, the labors of this life, the difficulties that come with that, or it could be a spiritual problem. Or, But it just opens up an a, a avenue in which we can share. And very possibly something God is saying to us. And that's where our focus ought to be a, a lot of times when we meet together, to hear from God. What's God saying? And it might not be a new thing, but it might be a specific way in which an old truth will apply itself to a present situation. <clears throat> so this morning, I decided I'm going to talk about the subject of prophecy. And specifically, I'd like to title this sermon, The Spirit of Prophecy. And it occurred to me that this is a little bit of an odd subject. But, you know, 
when Chad got up and shared the devotional this morning, I was, it made me wonder how God works because he talked a lot about the prophets and specifically Jesus, the prophet. The spirit of prophecy. Why the spirit? Well, you know, it's often the case that the things we do, the efforts we put forth, it's not always so much about what we do, but it's how we do it. It's the spirit in which we do it. You know, the, the Baal, the prophets of Baal, they prophesied. But it was not to the good of anything. And so just because we prophesy, just because we engage ourselves in some of these things, doesn't mean that we have the, the power and the authority behind it that we need. You know, the, the people ask Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? Because it was obvious that he was uh, doing these miracles and great things among the people. And rightfully so, they wondered where this power came from. And perhaps we should ask ourselves that on the things we do. Under what power and authority are we operating in the sight of God? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, that's a familiar chap, uh, book in the Bible, the love chapter, describes the importance of all things being done in love. Charity. Um, you know, if we're doing something, even if it's good, if it's not in charity, it profits nothing. It, it leaves an emptiness. And also, Romans 14 talks about things being done in faith, the importance of faith behind what we do. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, it says. And so we operate in, in the in the virtues of love and faith and hope. And 1 Corinthians 13, it's a beautiful chapter. It ends, it ends you know, that these abide, faith, hope, and charity, the greatest these of charity. But it doesn't stop there. You know, there's, there's more to do. It ends on a very nice note, but we have to go on in our Christian walk. Our Christian walk does not end with good ideas about how things should be done and having all the answers unless we put some action behind it. And so I invite you this morning to 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14, I think I'll read the first six verses. It says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, 
but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? I suppose if someone were to ask any of us this morning if we were a prophet, we would probably say no, that we don't have that gift, that we don't have that capacity or, or move in that capacity. When I was in VS 27 years ago, I did some voluntary service for a couple years and there was a, a fellow VSer there, uh, a lady, a woman, and she declared that she was a prophet. And that was a little new thought to me, and I didn't have a reason to dispute it. But she let it be known that she had the gift of prophecy. This was not a laughing matter. And so most of us would not say that that's, our, that's anything we do. But the fact is the Bible has a lot to say about it. And I would also think that a lot of us in, in the natural world and the things we say and do, how many times would we say something along the lines of, well, I knew that was going to happen. I told you that was going to happen. I figured that was what was going to happen. And we do it in the natural sense. But do we think about this in what God would have us to say and speak? God is a prophetic God. He is a God of the future. He has knowledge beyond just the present and the past. Someone made this, uh, this they figured out how that a quarter of the Bible, at the time it was written, was prophecy. 25% of the Bible was prophetic at the time it was written. God's word is about what is to come. It is about promises that we can claim and hold to. And the work of prophecy, and I'm not here to define what it is necessarily. I just want to sort of bring out this morning what the Bible has to say about it. But I believe it's not just about foretelling things or predicting things. It's also about declaring things and forthtelling, pronouncing what God has already said. There's a verse in Romans 4.17. It speaks of God. It says, Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that be not as though they are. Is that the God you serve? Is that the God you proclaim? Is that the spirit in which you walk, calling those things that be not as though they are? 
We do that when we claim the promises of God, for starters. In a lot of what we do, just consider the promises given to us. The declarations in Psalm 91. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, and such like. There's promises there that are ours to claim. And I think there's an advantage oftentimes in just speaking that promise out loud if need be. And let the world know, let the spirits know that that's what we believe, that's what we say in faith before God because his word is there for us. Plenty in the word of God just without having to come up with our own ideas and thoughts and solutions to our problem whether it's sickness, whether it's economics, but simply pray the promises of God. That's a good place to start if we're at a loss for words. I would, I would just simply bring out the emphasis that we see here in 1 Corinthians 14 concerning the need to prophesy, the work of prophecy. He says, uh, twice he says, I would rather that you prophesied. It occurred to me that these things, and, and we might attribute them to say this was just something they did back then. The early church had a need of this, and that's when it happened. Um, and that's where the real application was back then, but not for today. And also the, the speaking of tongues and so on, but you know there's, there's things we hold pretty dear in our practice that also go back to these times that others would say, well, that was for back then, and so we, we uh, don't look too fondly on, on, that, on the premise that just because it was back then doesn't mean it's for today, so I'm just trying to think in my mind why that would apply to some other things like what we see here. And Paul says, do not forbid to speak in tongues later on in that chapter. He doesn't forbid the speaking of tongues. It makes me wonder <clears throat> if the prophesying that was taking place there and the speaking of tongues were similar functions and he's simply making a distinction between the two, pointing out that prophecy in verse 3, it has a purpose. It's not simply to say, hey, we saw something, we predicted it, look at us. It's not to be a sensational thing, but it's to be to edification, exhortation, and comfort. I like, to, I like to think about the, the benefits of what God does for us and the blessings that God has in store for his people. And it's about positive things. It's about the grace that abounds, that God makes available to us, that we, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. You know, there was that parable of the, of the uh, wheat and the tares. 
And in that story, there were people that were concerned about these tares that are growing up, you know, and shall we get rid of them? Well, we might be that way. We might see problems. And, but Jesus said, you know, let, let them grow up together. And as I thought of that, there's a principle in which the good seed, the good growth, the things we desire and look for in the church, let them grow. And they will, they have a tendency to crowd out the bad. And I think it's illustrated by uh, the way you grow your lawn. And I've learned this about lawn care. You don't want to cut your grass too short. But let the good grass grow up, and that will help drown out the bad. And I think there's a principle there, too, to, to uh, appreciate. Isaiah 59, 19 says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, what do we see as the enemy? Too often, I think, maybe sometimes we see ourselves as the enemy. I'm not saying we shouldn't work on ourselves ever, but when I get together with God's people, I do not see them as the problem. I see them as my fellow servant, my fellow citizens on the way to heaven. And the enemy comes to seek, to kill, to destroy. He comes against the church of God and when God sees that happening when he sees that real threat there's the promise that he will raise up a standard against it we can take hope in that I'd like to look at an example in, in the um, life of Saul and, Sam, and uh, David in the book of Samuel 1 Samuel 19.20 and think a little bit about the protection that comes from prophecy or from the prophetic spirit. As you know, 1 Samuel 19, David was running from Saul for all he was worth. And Saul had, had made no bones about the fact that he wanted to kill David. So, verse 18, it says, So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went out and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Think of this. It's almost a comical thing. But you know, these messengers were not there for a little friendly chat. Messengers is, is probably a pretty generous term for these people. They came to take David to mean dead or alive back to Saul. And David found refuge, protection, safety, where he did the wise thing. He joined himself with the prophet, 
with the prophets. There was a company of prophets. He joined himself with the righteous. Samuel. And I think there's a lesson for that in us. You know, as the messengers, we don't come with the wrong intent. But there's a principle that as we join ourselves with the right people, with those who have um, similar interests, godly interests, that, that same spirit of righteousness and power and strength can come upon us. And in that situation, it, it provided safety for, for David. That story goes on, and, it, and eventually Saul himself goes, and the same thing happens to him. And he ended up prophesying. And it doesn't mean that Saul was righteous, but it showed, I believe, the overwhelming nature of the power of the Spirit of God in his prophets, the Spirit of prophecy. Another example of the protection that came from the prophets of God toward those who were in danger or needed, just needed God. And that was the um, story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18.21, might read a couple verses here. And we know this story, so I'm not going to read a lot of it. This is more of a story about what could have been, not what was. And Sam, uh, it turned out bad for the, for the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18, 21, it says, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. I see that as indecision, an inability to, to know where you're at or to make a stand or a commitment. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He doesn't really want to choose this side. He doesn't really want to choose that side. And like the people here, they answered him, not a word. They just, you know, they, they go into default mode whatever that is, and it's usually a bad place to be. Also, they were not attentive or aware of the situation. And the prophets of, of Baal probably didn't know that they were going to die that day. But when Elijah put this forth, how long haunt ye between two opinions? I think the prophets of Baal at that time could have redeemed themselves. They could have joined themselves to Elijah and they would have been spared. Their failure to do that resulted in their death. I think we're living in that day now where God is saying the same thing to people in our day. How long haught ye between two opinions Choose this day whom you will serve. In verse 39 of this chapter, 
we know the story where the God of Elijah emerged victorious. It says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Obvious at that point, they fell on their face. Doesn't mean their heart was changed. And you know, there's a day, the Bible says there's a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And some are going to do it when they have to. Some do it because they want to in this life. I'd like to bring out another thing about the, um, the work of prophecy, and that is it provides direction. It provides a, fa a path forward in the midst of confusion or uncertainty. And for an example of this, I invite you to 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20. This is a little less familiar passage, and I, I think it might be good to read through some of this. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, with them other besides the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, and so on from all these places. And verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This enemy, and here again is the principle of when the enemy comes against you like a flood. They saw the flood. There was no doubting that there wasn't even any point in numbering the people or trying to count forces, I take it, in this sense. They knew they were outnumbered. They knew that they had no strength outside of the Lord to prevail against these enemies. It was people from three different groups. Anyway, it was, it was an impossible situation. And so it's a little bit like our, our position if we're um, in need of a Savior and realize that we need salvation. That needs to be our attitude. There's nothing we can do outside of God. It's, it's totally beyond our strength. There's a value in being in a place like that, even though it's scary to realize that it's only through God that we can go forward or survive. Josiah prays to God in front of Jehoshaphat in the midst of all these people. A fairly long prayer. He reminds God of all the things that God has done, and that might be something we need to do sometime is to remind God of his heritage, his promises. And he talks about these people that are coming against him. 
in verse 10, Behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. The people that they had shown good to and favor to now were returning good for evil and all this. And verse 13 says, All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. And so you sense the, the dire situation that is here um, and the fact that the people were gathered together, they prayed together, and they were waiting on God. They needed an answer. And I like verse 14. So here we go with God's supernatural provision through a man, through a revelation. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. And I don't know why it lists all that genealogy there with that man except just to recognize him, to honor him in that way. It said, Came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God. And this spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a man that I don't know that we know much about, but God used him. And he prophesied, and he said what was to be, and he showed the people what they needed to do and what the enemy was going to do. It was a work of prophecy. And the effect was so indisputable or, or definite. In verse 18 it says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And from that point they went on rejoicing. It says they rose up early in the morning, and they went forth, and Jehoshaphat tells them in the latter part of verse 20, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And they even went out with singing. And and wrought a great victory against that enemy. The joy of the Lord was their strength. And it was obvious that God had spoken through this prophet. It was a revelation of God that had gone forth in such a way as to be unmistakable. Amos 3, 7 says this, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. 
you know, most people would probably say, well, I don't know too much. I don't know about this here, speaking in tongues or prophesying and so on. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of these things can be um, overdone. But, you know, my encouragement would be, let's not make light of the, of the role of prophecy as it's shown to us in the Word of God in the New Testament. Let's don't just dismiss it as something and marginalize what God has set up. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Despise not prophesying. What's that mean? Why is there, is there a tendency, you should, might ask yourself to, you know, the prophets kind of have a hard time. They aren't always fully accurate in what they say, maybe, in the New Testament times. But they have a word from a God, from God that goes forth, and it may not be appreciated, it may not be understood, and prophecies may not always be good news. But remember the New Testament prophecies and the purposes. That is the edification, exhortation, and comfort. <clears throat> well, there's, there's so much that could be said about the role of prophecy. When I, when I started looking into this and, and what I should share... I realized it was it was probably going to be a lot more than what I could bring out. And maybe there will be a part number two sometime if the Lord would lead me in that way. But I want to talk a little bit yet about the prophet Daniel. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Verses 44 and some following. Now remember, this was an account where the king had a dream, but he could not remember what the dream was about. He remembered he had a dream, but he couldn't remember what it was about. And he called in all the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers. It said he called in the Chaldeans. They could not help him. They could not show the king is dream. In fact, they said it is a rare thing that the king requireth. Very rare to expect somebody to know what you dream. And so they said there is not a man that can do this. Well, they were they were wrong about that one because there was a man. There was Daniel. A man that God was able to use. God works through his people. Daniel was one of the most highly esteemed in the Old Testament and in the New. <clears throat> and he prophesied and he revealed this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten. And I believe when he told the king that dream, the king remembered, ah, oh, yes, that is what I dreamed. And the effect was that this king fell on his face and he 
he wanted to reward Daniel. I think the verse I want to look for here is 46, 47. Fell on his face. And he testifies then in, in verse 47. Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. And he made him a great man and so on. Very similar thing happened when Joseph told Pharaoh his dream. Pharaoh told Daniel, For as much as God has shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And I just had to think of, of how the power of God, the irrefutable evidence of God, is shown through prophecy. Through his working, through his interaction with people. Notice how often in the accounts of this nature that it speaks of the people as falling on their faces when they heard this. Was that just a custom, something they did as a culture? Or was it a response that came about because they had an encounter, they had a supernatural encounter. What would it take for us to fall on our face in that manner? But you know, if someone were to walk up to you and begin to reveal things that you um, had dreamed or thought, you know, we feel pretty safe in what we think. That is where I think we rightfully assume a degree of privacy. We talk about you know, privacy being lost in today's world. And I've been hearing with technology a little more, they're working towards this thing of being able to know what people think electronically. But I bring some of that up because of some other verses in 1 Corinthians 14. And that is 24 and 25. It says, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. What is, what is that e an event or encounter that's being described there for us? That these people, we see they had a very similar response in the New Testament. In that setting that we see in the Old Testament when men ungodly men, the kings of the world were confronted with the power of God and their natural response was to fall on their face and it makes you wonder but <clears throat> um, you know in our day and time I think we need we need a convincing absolute uh, evidence of the work of God made evident in our lives to other people that are watching, whether it's through the gift of prophecy, 
whether it's through some other spiritual gifts that we may have <clears throat> that God has blessed you with. You know, our challenge is to use the gift that God has given to us. Develop that gift to the blessing and the praise of God and the church. And often in these things, there's a need for learning, for development, and for growth. And Hebrews speaks of having our senses um, sharpened by, by using them. It says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those that by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's what we need in our day, a discerning heart and spirit between good and evil. <clears throat> In the book of Acts, chapter 2, Peter says this about what people were thinking. He said, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. If, if Peter is speaking these words in the New Testament, um, after the event of, of Pentecost, that experience and so on, what time and era is he alluding to? Is it the Old Testament, or is it the New? So, I just want to encourage us in the work of prophecy, discerning spirits, the Spirit of God. Notice how the strong connection between the Spirit of God and the work of prophecy Revelations 19:10 And I fell at my and I fell at his feet to worship him this is John talking to an angel and he said unto me see thou do it not I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that has the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy You know today you may not feel like a prophet you may not feel like that is something you do, but all of us should have the spirit of prophecy, and that is simply the testimony of Jesus, speaking the things that honor and magnify Jesus. And that in its simplest fundamental level is what the spirit of prophecy is about, speaking the voice of God, speaking the word of the Holy Spirit, Calling those things that be not as though they are to the purpose that we edify, exhort, and comfort. To the purpose that we heal the brokenhearted. We proclaim liberty to the captives. We release the prisoners, comfort those who mourn, and so on. So God bless us as we each in our paths that God has given us to 
walk in that path and to allow God to nurture us in his gifts and his callings. So at this time, I think we'll have a song.